So I had never been invited to sleep in a church pew or on the floor of a church before April of 1983. Uh, Before then, it just kind of happened during church services. Make of that what you will. I was five years old. My sister was two. And we were coming home to Denver, Colorado from holiday time during our spring break in Texas. We had gone and seen my my grandmother and my grandfather on my dad's side in way south Texas, almost Mexico. And then we had looped back up through Dallas to see my mother's parents who were living there at the time. And it's April. And we're out on the plains and it's spring break and you, you really don't think of these kind of things. And it was a beautiful sunny day when we left Dallas and, and we just kind of put the hammer down and said we're going to get there in one day. Uh, and we didn't. Uh, I-25 has a very notorious section just south of Denver called Monument Pass. It's a 12% grade. It's not even in the mountains. It's out on the plains. It's just where they had to build the highway, I guess. And it's a choke point. And when weather comes up, that seems to be where it hits. And when it hits, it closes the highway down. And sure enough, we get there, and we have driven all day, and we are only about mm, 45 minutes away from our house, and we can't get there because a snowstorm has come in and has iced up the roads and they've closed down the highway. We just can't get anywhere. And I don't remember a whole lot about this because, again, I was five. What I mostly remember is spending hours upon hours upon hours in this thing called the Village Inn, okay, which is kind of like, I don't know, White Spot, I guess, sort of, kind of, except their big thing is breakfast even more than, like, White Spot is. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe there's some, it, it Denny's, okay, that'd be better. More like Denny's. And just spending hours on hours on hours in one of those high back booths, I think probably banging my head against the back of the booth because I was so bored. And finally, one of the waitresses discreetly came and told us that there was a place that we could stay. I think she did this one to be kind to us. I think she also did this to be kind to all of the other people that were tired of myself and my sister uh, creating havoc while we were all waiting. Because the, old, the older folks will just sit there and just keep getting coffee or whatever and just you know patiently wait it out. We will be a holy terror until they do something with us. And so they, that's what they did. They, they said, hey, there's a place for you. And I remember my dad... Um, I remember my dad carrying me into a dimly lit building and we met all these people that I didn't know. And and by this time it was, you know, late, late. It was probably 9 or 10 o'clock at night, right? And there were people, some of them were handing out hot drinks. Some of them were handing out blankets. Dad got the drinks from a bearded man in flannel and I got blankets from a gray-haired plump lady who smiled at me and patted my head. And then we went into a big room that was dark with a bunch of benches all over the place crowded with other people that were stuck like us. And it was only when my eyes adjusted enough to the dark that I saw a big cross on the wall that I realized we were actually in a church. My mom came in with my sister and we found a place among the pews to settle into. And dad helped me out of my coat and he made a pillow of it on his lap for me and I snuggled down in this unfamiliar place in this unfamiliar smelling blanket to have some fitful kind of rest while my dad uh, sipped on his drink and tried to kind of nod off himself in the pew. And I 
wake up every once in a while and I don't really remember how much time had passed or whatever, not really knowing where I was and then realizing that I was safe even though I was in an unfamiliar place and I was surrounded by strangers and I was a stranger myself, uh, but safe because of some people that I didn't know. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Dad nudges me awake and says, hey, they've opened the highway up, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to go home. And so we packed our stuff up, we gave our blankets back, you know, and, and, and made our way home. And, so, and since then, I've had multiple opportunities to be the recipient of hospitality, and I've had multiple opportunities to be someone who gets to extend hospitality. But that was my first real, and I think probably most formative experience with hospitality. In a time of need, somebody that I didn't know and who didn't know me made space for me in order that I could be cared for and I could be safe. What does it mean for us to live generously? It starts, like we've talked about, with this expectation that we have something that is worth offering. We have to have generous expectations that what we have actually matters. And that God is able to use it. We actually have to have generous expectations of the Lord. That he's going to take the meager things that we bring and say, yes, I can work with this. And one of the things I think we overlook so much is that we have such an ability to do. It may seem meager, but it is so powerful. Is we have the ability to make space. We have the ability to make room. We have the ability to prepare a place. As, as David reflects on his life with the Lord and he writes Psalm 23, he says one of, the, one of the main characteristics of why he praises the Lord is you've prepared a place for me. Even in the midst of being assaulted, even in the midst of my enemies, you make space for me. You make room for me. Admittedly, I come from a country where and an upbringing where there are very different ideas about personal space than here. Suburban single-family homes are kind of the ideal uh, in Denver. And unless you're living in the urban heart of an area, the whole upper suite, lower suite situation just doesn't happen. You just don't have that. Uh, it, it may exist among family members, but definitely not among strangers. But here in another area, you can have thousands of people squished together in a multi-story apartment buildings, but the apart piece is still the dominant factor of apartment. So if we're going to have a conversation about hospitality, if we're going to have a conversation about making space, if we're going to have a conversation about being near to one another, it has to be about more than just physical proximity or physical location or where we rest our heads. It's got to be a bigger conversation than that. What is hospitality then? Why is it important? There's so many passages on hospitality in the Old Testament and New Testament. It is hard for us to pick one. I think that should be a message to us about how important this idea of making room is for God and how important it is for someone who claims to be a disciple of Christ to be about the business of hospitality. It is so interwoven, not just as a cultural thing, but as a theological reality. But in needing to pick one passage to focus on, I went with the reading this morning. In our reading this morning, Jesus is looking forward. 
He's stretching the imagination of the disciples. He's helping them to see the story of what the kingdom of God will look like in its fullness and what the citizens of the kingdom of God look like. And it's important to understand that this scene of judgment would be both very, very familiar and very challenging to the disciples and to the reader who is Jewish, who is listening to Matthew. Faithfulness to the law of God is the benchmark for the faithful Hebrew. And these elements of feeding the hungry and clothing those who cannot provide for themselves, all of those things are very, very interwoven into God's law. You would be very, very familiar with this. But where this gets unsettling is that the judgment of who belongs to the kingdom of heaven and who does not is made primarily by how they've embodied the heart of God in hospitality. And I think that'd be unsettling. If you say, well, I've, I've done my best to keep a pure life and I've kept evil way away from me and I've done my best to just live holy and section myself off and, and be the holiest person that I can be. And Jesus goes, yeah, well, while you were working on that, I passed by you every day. You didn't make room for me. What am I supposed to do with that? It's very unsettling. I think to find a baseline to understand hospitality, we have to start with Jesus' words in verse 35. I was a stranger and you brought me in. You need to realize every single thing that Jesus talks about in there, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was in prison. I was sick and you cared for me or you came to take care of me. Okay, we think of those things in our cultural terms. It was different then. You didn't just toss somebody bread. You didn't just give somebody a fiver and say, here man, go get something at McDonald's. Okay, to feed someone means to invite them into your space and share a meal. To even give someone a drink when they are thirsty. Go, go to John 4. Consider all the things that are going on with the woman at the well. How many, how many cultural gaps Jesus breaks and crosses simply by saying, can I, have a, can, I have some, can I share some water with you? Will you share water with me? Because to do that was to invite them to commune with you, to be with you to accept them as an individual and to draw them near. It was making space. When someone was sick, you didn't just go visit them in the hospital. You brought them into your home and you cared for them, right? When someone was in prison, this is one of the things that's so, so interesting about prison with Paul that I think we overlook sometimes. You had to take care of yourself in prison. You paid your own way. You got your own food in prison. It wasn't like the system here where, where we take care of you when you're in prison. Okay, you had to arrange for your own sustenance and support while you were in prison. And so to, so to, go, so, so to visit someone in prison is not just to pop in and say, hey, how's it going, and talk to you on the phone between the glass. Okay, to come and to visit someone in prison meant to bring provisions, to stay with them, to care for them. Make sure that they aren't starving and getting sick and dying while they're under arrest, even house arrest. All of these things are really centering on that very, very, that very middle part. I was 
outside. I was outside of where you were, and you made space for me. Either by bringing me into your space, or either by going out where I was and making room for me there. Again, that's, that's why hospitality has to be a bigger conversation than just opening up your living room. Although, I can just say, opening up your living room and your dining table may be some of the most holy things that you ever do, ever. What God can do in a living room, what God can do around a dining room table is incredible. Consider how many of the teachings of Jesus take place around a meal. Consider how many of the formative things that happen between Jesus and the disciples or between Jesus and other people is when they invite them into his home. What could God do in your living room? What could God do in your dining table? That's where the conversation starts, but it's definitely not where the conversation ends. If we're going to understand hospitality in the Old Testament, we have to get the fact that it's not the same as what we consider to be social justice. It's not just, it's not just giving stuff. It is elevating, it is, it is renewing, it is bringing people together and, and realizing that we are all created in the image of God together. And when Jesus talks about this, I was a stranger and you invited me in, he's not just talking about something in the law, he's also drawing back to some of the oldest images in Hebrew identity. He's going back to the character of their father, Abraham. If we look in Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 16, we find Abraham. He's camped out in the wilderness, and he sees these three men out in the distance. And he runs out to them, and he asks to bring them, some shade to, them, bring them to some shade that is nearby, along with some bread and some water so that they can rest, and they can eat, and they can be refreshed, and they can wash their feet. And after they accept, he talks with them and then asks if they might continue their journey into his camp. And they do, and he as host takes on the role of table waiter for them as they receive food and water and rest. And this is a social process that's a standard procedure for offering hospitality, and it accomplishes two things. First, it increases the honor of both the guest and the host. Okay? It increases the honor to those who are travelers because they know that, that, that this person thinks that they are worthy to bring them into their household and to give them honor as a guest. But it also brings honor to the host because as they go on their travels and they get to town, they're going to say, you know, we were out in the wilderness and we met this guy named Abram and he was just the best host. And everybody goes, yeah. And they're like, I just want you to know when you're traveling in the wilderness, which is a truly dangerous place then, there's a safe spot for you there. You know you can go there. You know that it's safe. He will make room for you. So it accomplished that, but even more than this, it accomplished something else. Like I said, if the wilderness is dangerous and you're out in the wilderness and that's where you're living, hospitality does a really amazing thing. It takes the stranger and it turns them into a guest and it removes the threat of them being a stranger. If they come into your household... They don't come in as a stranger anymore. They come in as your guest. You've already extended honor. You've already opened the doors. There's no reason for them to not come in. And, 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 and who would then break that honor by choosing to do something underhanded? 
Oh, no, no, no. I brought you in as a guest. And I give you honor. And it diffuses the threat. It takes away the threat of the unknown. And I think this is a, both a practical and a theological foundation for hospitality. Because we live in a world now where we encounter strangers all the time. They are skirting our camp day and night, aren't they? We are part of a global community where multi-faith, multi-ethnic, multi-economic, multi-gender diversity often serves not to be something that we can join together in. It serves to section us off into little pieces. It serves to divide us up into little clumps of people who assume that we don't have anything in common anymore. Little pieces of people that we can consider like us, surrounded by a lot of not like us. And I think the church is as guilty of this as anybody. We tend to clump into little groups of like us. And everybody that's out there is not like us. And it's not godly thinking. See, those differences then are allowed to grow, and in their wake, they sow fear of difference between us and others. And that acts as a barrier to forging relationships or creating the connectedness that is the hallmark of the kingdom of God. And this is why hospitality is so difficult for us to envision, I think, at times, because my ego, my temper, my plans, my understanding of how life works, my priorities, my whatever, even my self-righteousness, will get in the way of genuine openness towards someone else and all of their ego, pride, situation, back, what have you, is also working against it the same way. This is why hospitality is such a critical element to being a follower of Jesus. It is the thing that brings the stranger, however it is I classify them, brings them into my space and turns them into a guest. It removes the threat of the unknown because then I begin to realize that God has created them in his image just like he's created me in his image. It removes the threat of that difference and it makes me have to risk recognizing that our similarities are greater than our differences as humans. And those differences actually enhance the relationship that the Spirit of God can build in between us. Abraham risks a lot to be hospitable. And in every story of godly hospitality in the Old Testament and the New Testament, those stories contain an element of risk. They have to. Making ourselves vulnerable to someone else first. Giving them the benefit of the doubt and engaging them as a child of God just like us. The only way that I think we can do that well is when we consider the realization that we are all strangers at one time or another. We are travelers who are not settled yet and are somewhat out of place. This is not our home. Right? God is bringing the renewed home for us. It is on its way, but it's not here yet. We're not home yet. We are travelers. And so when we offer hospitality, it's as one who, is, who realizes that 
like you, like me, I'm on my way somewhere. And I'm not there yet. But we're better when we get there together. Interesting thing is, is that even after they move into the promised land, Israel theologically continues to identify themselves as aliens and strangers and sojourners. Every generation is connecting themselves directly to those wanderers from Egypt who are out in the wilderness who need God's provision. Even now, at Passover, they say, well, our fathers, and they bridge like just thousands of years of generations just in one sentence and say, our fathers were brought out of Egypt. They still see themselves as people protected and sustained by God, and they're living in the land as tenants of the Most High God. They're not the owners. God is the owner, and they get to work in it as the tenants. How often do we look at our spaces like that? If we're not really the owners of anything, it's that God is the one who has given it to us to be faithful stewards of it, whether it's our stuff or our space or our time or anything else that we're going to talk about in this idea of generous living. If we understand first that it's not really ours, then it becomes so much easier to invite others into it. See, that grace that God gave them was to be carried over to their attitudes and actions toward people traveling in and out of their lives. And that mindset is the core of what it means to be hospitable now. Is to take the grace that God pours out on you and me and and splash it over into the people that are traveling in and out of our lives. In whatever way they're traveling in and out, however long they're in our atmosphere, we make room for them. That's what it means to be generous in our space. If we really believe the words to the hymn, the world is not my home, I'm just passing through, to the new creation that awaits us someday, that is a universal thing that's shared by everybody. You, me, everybody. And so Jesus astounds the righteous members of the parable and the disciples who are listening to this parable in Matthew 25 alike by identifying as a stranger himself. He says, I was a stranger. He's a sojourning king. He's traveling through foreign lands to a kingdom that is near and is at hand but is not fully realized yet. And anyone who walks with him is walking in that same journey. You and I are too. This challenges, how you, this challenges you and I to alter how we are living now in light of where the story's going. The strangers among us need to be invited to share in the generosity of the king who himself is a stranger. And so hospitality is this core Christian belief, but what does it look like? What does it mean then for us to be hospitable? What does it mean for us to be generous with our space, to make room for people? We live in a world where hospitality is now an industry. We've limited and outsourced care and welcome to fancy hotels and concierges. I think we have to begin by realizing that hospitality has physical and spiritual dimensions and those features begin with an understanding that hospitality is not about being nice. Not if you're a Christian. Hospitality is about being sincere. Very different. Here's what I mean. Many of our many of our fears and our distractions regarding being generous with our space 
are about appearances, aren't they? Everything's got to be spotless. Everything's got to shine in order to practice good hospitality in our space. We've got to get our space all ready. And if we're messy, we can't invite people into our space. But Christian hospitality isn't about being nice. It's about being sincere. It's about inviting people into your mess because you know that they have mess too. And that God is working on our mess, right? That's what we talked about a couple months ago when we were looking at the book of Philemon. Your mess is mine. That's, that's part of the common thing that we share as the body of Christ. Okay? The best hospitality is when we let our guard down and we're willing to invite people into our mess. That's where the vulnerability and honesty of the real actually creates relationships where Christ can flourish. We stop being those scary, perfect Christians that have it all together, and we start being people of God. That isn't just acceptable, it's imperative for bridging the relational division and distance that lives in our world. And so I think hospitality that is sincere looks like four things. First, it is being attentive. There is, a, there is a, a, a teacher of the law that wants to justify himself to Jesus when Jesus says, well, you know the commandments that bring eternal life in the kingdom, right? And he says, of course I do. It's love God with everything you've got. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, gold star for you. Go live it. And the Pharisee says, okay, fine, but who's my neighbor? And you know the funny thing is? Jesus doesn't answer him. He just tells a story. And then says, fine, so based on this story, who do you think a neighbor is? Who do you think is being a good neighbor? Jesus does not limit the question, who is my neighbor? He will let you expand that as far as you are willing. And then he challenges you to expand it even farther than you're willing. And to keep expanding it, and to keep expanding it, and to keep expanding it. I believe that one of the core things of being a disciple of Jesus is that my circle of people who I think of as are not like me should be getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller my whole life until it doesn't exist anymore. God willing, it will get that way. Lord, let it be that way. It's really sad because some of the people that I, that, that I, I do that the most to are not people that are out in the world. I now do that to people that are Christians. <laughs> and I think of them as like conservative and old-fashioned and, you know, blinded by religion and stuff. I say those kind of things and I think those kind of things and I go, I'm not like them. And then I go, what am I doing? What am I doing? Those are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Those are the people I need to show love to the most, Right? How else, how else will transformation come? If I, just, if I just write them off and say, well, you know, you're just not there, you know? How, how will transformation ever come? You know, that, that's, that's one area where my circle needs to grow a lot smaller. I need to be a lot more accepting. I need to be a lot more loving. 
in our attentiveness of who is my neighbor, that's who we will make room for. People that we don't think of as our neighbor, we won't take time to make room for. And so that has to keep growing. But it's not just enough to be attentive. We have to make presence. An empty house is not a hospitable house. If you just invite somebody over when you're not there, it's not really hospitality, is it? And yet spiritually, how many times do we invite people into our space, but we're not really there? How many times am I in a conversation with somebody and I'm doing this? Yeah, uh-huh, yes, of course, no, I just, hang on, this one text, just, yes, okay, I'm back, I just stepped out of the house, and then I stepped back in, I'm terrible at that, my wife is smiling at me now, because she knows, Our presence is one of the best gifts that we give. Jesus has this thing with Martha and Mary, and he and he says to he says to her, you know, like Martha, I'm I'm glad you're making dinner and everything, and you're getting angry at Mary for sitting at my feet. But here's the thing: the distractions of hospitality are taking you away from the core of hospitality, which is making room for the guest. Here I am. And so we need presence, but, but then even more, hospitality happens in our willingness to seek out the margins. Jesus tells another story of a guy who's throwing a wedding feast, and all of his guests of honor have these really stupid excuses. I just bought a set of oxen, I need to go try them out. Like, really? I'm surprised he didn't throw, I have to wash my hair in there. And his response is, go out into the streets, go out into the alleys, go out into the garbage dump. I don't care where you have to go. Fill my house. Gather the beggars and bring them in, the blind and the lame and the crippled, and bring them into the wedding feast. And all those people that are giving me half-hearted excuses, they aren't going to taste a bit of this food because it's all going. Hospitality is going to continue to look into the margins Hospitality should at times meet with resistance from ourselves and others. That's how we know that we're looking in the right places. It's bringing dignity to those who don't have it. And sometimes that's going to bring resistance. The stories of the earliest Christians always amaze me. There are historical accounts of these massive plagues that happened through the Roman Empire. And, and also just practices of, of culture that, that just don't value human life. There's these plagues and people are sick and they're leaving them to die in the streets because they can't save them and they want to get away from them so they don't catch it. And as the people are fleeing the cities... The Christians are coming into the cities and they are getting these people and they are bringing them into their homes and they are contracting the disease and they are dying with them in order to give them dignity. Why do we know that so many, that, that there were so many women in Christianity, so many more women in Christianity than men in, in early Christianity? And, and that happened for a lot of reasons, but do you want to know one, one of the reasons? It's because it was a patriarchal society And if you had a baby girl and you just felt you didn't have room, 
for that baby, you could give them over to the gods. You could throw them out in a field, leave them to the elements. And what are the Christians doing? They are running out in the fields at night and finding these babies, and they are bringing them in, and they are calling them their daughters. And so the church grows. They are making room for those that have no dignity. The dying, the sick, the abandoned. That's how the church grows. Are we willing to look in the margins? Are we willing to keep pushing the margins? Because that's how the church grows. Ultimately, it is creating a safe space. There's an ancient, uh, there's a guy over a thousand years ago named Gregory of Nyssa. He's a church theologian and he said this. Reali- he, said, he said, you know, you realize the whole act of creation was God making room for humanity. He takes all of creation and then he, he makes this garden as a safe space. Out of all of the chaos, he makes order and then in the middle of the order, he makes a garden and he puts humanity in the garden in a safe space where they can grow and they can learn how to live and they can learn who he is. He says that's, that's the pattern for, for all hospitality is that, is that we're actually, we're not just being like God when we do that, we're not just imitating him. When we make room for people in our lives, when we are generous with the space of our hearts and the space of our souls and the space of our dining tables, whatever it is, we make room and we actually, we actually participate in creation. We aren't just imitating God. We're becoming participants with God. Henry Nouwen said, hospitality is engaging in the redemptive work of the creator. It's not to change people, it's to offer them a space where change into the image of Christ can can take place. For Jesus, the key was welcoming. This was and still is into our physical space. Like I said, our living rooms and our dining tables are the place where this starts. But by no means are the end. But But there is something mysterious that happens when someone we don't know comes into our home and shares a meal with us. And so maybe some homework for you even is this week. Who around you that you don't know needs to get welcomed into your space this week? Go ahead and grab them after service, man. Get them and say, you need to come to my house. You need to come to my apartment. You need to come to McDonald's with me. Wherever, okay, right? Wherever. Are you going to make space? Hospitality doesn't stay there, though. Being generous with our space moves out into any and all of our spaces and redeems them. Our cubicle, our classroom, our bus stop, our shotgun seat in our car, our favorite table at Starbucks. I don't care what it is. All of those places have the ability to become sacred space where God makes room. Yes, even our church building can and should be transformed into a place where the stranger becomes the guest. Hospitality is work. It is hard. It is risky. It is draining. It is difficult. And so why do we do it? Yes, we do it because the church grows, and yes, we do it because we have this, this, this burden 
that we see Christ. But I, I want to remind you of one other thing here, okay? We look at Matthew in the gospel there. We look at the story that Jesus tells. And we look at Abraham in Genesis and we look at his story. And I come to the startling conclusion that the writer of Hebrews also comes to in Hebrews 13. You never know when the object of your hospitality ends up being the messenger of God in your midst. Christ himself inhabits those that we become generous toward. His spirit connects us, both to each other and to himself. The guest is able to confer a divine blessing that you and I were never expecting. And so we come to the realization that hospitality exists for the benefit of all parties, the host and the guest, to prepare a welcoming space where we encounter the living word of God. And that's what we're going to do right now, actually. We're going to come to the table together. I'm going to ask our servers to go ahead and come up. Here's the thing. Like I said, what can God do around a dining table? Let's talk about what he did around a dining table one night. He took bread and he broke it. And he took a cup and he offered it around. And he said, listen. What you're doing right now, this is remembering me, okay? But not just remembering me like in terms of of, of recalling me from a long distant time and place. This is bringing me back together. Remembering. Reconnecting. We spend so much time fragmented as the body of God. We spend so much time out in our own little spaces. And this is why we need to do this every week. This is why we need to come together, we need to take the bread, and we need to take the cup together because I need to be reminded that Jesus is remembering me to you. He is reconnecting me to you. Our lives, because of God's Spirit, are intertwined in a way that goes beyond flesh and blood. And so in this body, in this blood, at this table, we meet the risen Lord who was a stranger, who now becomes a guest, who now becomes our host for all of us who are strangers, who have now become his guests. And as we share in him, we stop becoming strangers to each other. We stop becoming separate. And we start becoming known again. Known by God, known by each other. Our fear falls away, and it becomes replaced by love. And so let this be the place at the table where we remember our Lord together and where we reconnect and we become one again and let us take that and move out into a world that needs to be remembered to its creator by making room for that to happen by making space let's pray God thank you for this great sacrifice of your body and your blood but thank you 
even more that it's not just a sacrifice that you made in order to pay for sin. It's a sacrifice that you made to draw us near, to make space for us. So that, so that we can commune with you and you can commune with us so that we can be in relationship together and so that we can be in relationship with one another so that we can be who you created us to be again. It was not just to, to pay the price for us and leave us on our own. It was to draw us into you and never let us go. So Lord, we honor you in this time. But Lord, let us also honor what your Holy Spirit is doing amongst all of us. Making us one. Bringing us together by your Spirit.